0: Welcome to DevOps and Docker Talk. I'm your host, Brett Fisher. In this episode, we're talking about contributing to open source. I'm joined by my co-host, Nirmal Mehta, and our guest is Brian Douglas of GitHub fame, who has founded OpenSauce, a cool web app and community of open source developers finding their next contribution and maybe their next job. This is an edited version of the live show from July 13th, 2023. You can join us and ask our guests questions every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at brett.live. Also remember to check the show notes for links to what we discuss in the show. Please enjoy this episode with Brian Douglas of OpenSauced.
1: Hey, how's it going, Brett? Good.
0: It's nice to see you. Normal's back again, co-hosting with me. We're here today with Brian Douglas. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and reaching out. So tell us more about... Open source, what's it all
2: about? We're basically providing a pathway for folks to get involved and make contributions to open source. So that's the goal. That was the goal I sort of set out to do back when I bought the domain opensource.pizza in 2017. And this is a thing that we started like in 2020. I actually added login. But then back last year, we actually decided to make a slight pivot in other the explore projects there. It says maintaining a team. What we discovered is you could tell people about open source as much as you want, but what you really need is get more people who are maintaining and steering open source, like the open source program offices or our companies. So like we built an entire platform for them to manage and get insights in their open source projects. So that's the platform. And yeah, it's been fun to talk to people about open source on our podcast that we do every other week. Actually, we had an episode go out yesterday with the founder of Stellate. And uh, he was working at Gatsby and started building a GraphQL CDN. So that's what Stellate is, but huge React contributor and created the React boilerplate. So, yeah, that's open source in a nutshell. Like, we're helping folks find contributions, but also helping companies and maintainers find contributors.
1: That's awesome. There's two parts of this, right? There's the uh, getting folks started, involved, and in contributing to open source projects. And then you have the other side, which is like you mentioned, companies, organizations, open source communities, the maintainers of these open source projects, helping them just keep things going, right? Understanding where contributions are coming from, getting feedback, staying on top of these very highly dynamic, full of personalities, full of different people from around the world, open source communities. Let's start with that first group. What are some of the key insights and what are some of the first steps you provide as tips or tricks or whatnot in terms of folks wanting to contribute to open source. Both Brett and I, we met each other through the Docker community, right? Which okay. is, which yeah. was a, a rocket ship of an open source community when it came right. out. And,
0: right. Back when it was um, only open source. Yeah. It was like early days. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, like 20, uh, 2012, 2011, 2013?
1: around those times. <laughs> 2013. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 It was pretty early. And we've maintained our friendship and grown really great relationship over that time as part of the Docker captain community and the open source communities, not only in Docker, but the ecosystem, right, of other open yeah. source projects that touches. So, we, you know, Brett and I, I don't want to speak for Brett, but we, I understand inherently the massive positive impact on my life and career that open source has had. How do you help folks like, strike that path, that same path?
2: Yeah, yeah. And this is something that maybe it's in, in the show notes about, but I spent five years working at GitHub previously to starting this and specifically doing developer relations. So it was always the trying to get open source maintainers to leverage GitHub deeply and leverage actions was like my main, like go to market strategy and community involvement. But the question that everyone has is like, how do I get started or how do I find projects? And I think there's a lot of really good tools out there, good first and there's like first timers only and like that whole mantra of look in your package.json or look in your your dependency tree and go contribute there. But I think it's like it's like this providing somebody like just the black box and say just go have fun and do something. And I think that world that we live in with Docker being one thing is like there's so much more nuance and like evolution since there, it's hard to even know where to get started. So my recommendation for most people was like don't do any of that stuff. Go find the community and join the community. Because like the thing is, so this is, I was actually recording some content today about this. Like I played high school football and in high school football, I was like tall and skinny, like not as skinny as I used to be, but still tall. And I played wide receiver. So in high school, everyone's a wide receiver unless you know actually what you're doing. Which means like we had, it wasn't first string, second string. It was like 10 wide receivers who got rotated in all the time. And that's how the coach would basically grab a receiver, Sorry, like this is a American football for folks who are who are not maybe not in the States, but they just grab a jersey and be like, Hey, here's a play, run it in. Cause you didn't have the expensive helmets. Like now schools have expensive helmets that have microphones in them and stuff like that. But if you wanted to get in the game, you had to stand next to the coach. Right. But a lot of times people think, oh, you know, if I had the right shoes and I have the right, you know, neon signs in the back and have the M1 laptop, I'm ready to go. But in reality, it's like if you join like your community, the, you remember the, the Docker captains? Join the folks who are doing the thing, and like this, watch and listen. Because like, if I was a plumber, if I wanted to be a plumber, like I'd go and go be an apprentice somewhere. I'd go find a, a a master plumber, and then I'd be the apprentice or journeyman plumber, and I'd go learn exactly how things are worked to do it. It's the same thing with engineering. So if you join the community and see like the same issues come up over and over again, or this bug was fixed, and here's a conversation that happened before it got fixed. It's, it makes it so much easier to approach. Oh, I have a good first issue now.
0: Yeah, I'm realizing now this is actually going to end up being the episode that I hand off to st- my students that come through my courses because they're often new to DevOps and they're often new to open source. That's not, I don't do open source c- courses, but because they're learning, you know, all the latest tools, Docker, Kubernetes, whatever, they end up learning a little bit about this and realizing, oh, they they want to be involved. And they their first questions are often these exact same wrong questions of, which project should I look to contribute to? What is the best open source project to go commit to? And yeah, well, it, and that it, answer it, changes the day to day. Right? Yeah. So it could be like this answer today,
2: but in six weeks or six months, I could have said back in 2013, I'd be like, oh, Docker, like go contribute to Docker. It's such a vibrant community. It's so easy to get contributions there. But today, no, not, that's the wrong answer. Go get right. a job at Docker and then you could probably contribute.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, That changes with respect to the there's a a kind of like a hype cycle for certain open source projects, especially new ones. But at the same time, there are very large, very active, long running projects that have sub communities of interest or working groups. And those are kind of like mini communities that, like you said, just showing up even is like a good first step. Right. Just being there. Yeah. Is that the way to, I, I think we were talking right before, of course, but you were talking about how going to the issues first is not the first step. What's that first step? Yeah. The, I mean, I'd say the first
2: good contribution is hello. Say hello in the discord. And who are you? What's your skill set? Cause I, would, I just had, again, I'm creating some content because yesterday I had someone come into discord is like, Hey, I would, I'm ready to work. I want to do some contributions. I found open source from whatever, because we have a, Discord.gg slash open source is a Discord. And I was like, I can answer this question, but there's so much nuance in the answer if I don't even know what code you write, which is why we have profiles. Like when you onboard an open source, you choose your interest. So, whatever, now it's just languages today, but we'll add frameworks and like DevOps tools eventually. So, you can't choose Kubernetes, but you can choose Go. And then from there, you tell us your time zone. And time zone is really important, not because like we don't want like location because that's a little more personal identify information. But time zones are really like, hey, if we jump on a call, are you in anywhere close to me? I can just make that quick decision. I think it's, some people choose like set their time zone up on GitHub. A lot of people don't. So that's why we're asking for it. It's just if I'm gonna engage and have a conversation with you and mentor you, I need I need some quick answers. Otherwise like I have no idea what to tell you. I can tell you what worked for me, but it's not gonna work for you. So I this whole conversation back and forth around to say hello, and give like a little introduction. And I think there's a lot of folks probably in your community and other communities that are there just to observe and not really interact. And I think that's okay. But if you're requesting for some mentorship, I think what I've learned in my work at GitHub is like a lot of maintainers are burnt out. And they're burnt out not just by maintaining stuff. And it's not about... I think there's a huge funding thing, conversation around, am I funded to do this work? full time, part time or whatnot, or keep this sustainable. But what I'm getting at is there's just no one to replace you. There's no one to backfill you. And even if there's somebody, there's only a handful of folks. So if I find someone that says, hey, I'm willing to work, and then I spend a bunch of time mentoring them, setting up Zoom calls, and then two weeks later, they're like, hey, I can't do this anymore. That's a lot of energy, not wasted, because I think there's some value the maintainer got to sort of find out if there's like documentation where they can onboard people. But there's value that the contributor got, but then that relationship just goes off in the ether. So it's I think that it's around validation and trust. That's the thing that we wanted to actually solve early days, open source, which is who are you? Where'd you come from? And if I spend some time with you, like where you stick around? And I was like the question, I made a contribution to Node.js last year. And I made the contribution with a lot of mentorship from some of the, the core team members. And when I was like, oh, I appreciate you like taking the time and showing me how to do this and like, The way they sort of explained to me and like, not everyone thinks this way, but like with this team, it's like you work at the time I worked at GitHub and they're like, you're not going to disappear on us because you work at GitHub, we can Slack you, we can find like how to unblock this if this thing breaks for the entire internet. So, but that's not the same thing for other folks who just want to make contributions. A lot of folks just end up disappearing, which again, I want to iterate. It's okay to take a step back or if you bit off too much that you can chew, like back off. But also, I just want to recognize that if you're putting yourself out there to like, get some mentorship and like it doesn't really come to fruition or there's not like a blog post that came out of it or some documentation that came out of it, it, maintainers might be a little shy of doing that the next time, which is why my recommendation is like, Discord, hello, this is me, here to hang out. And then maybe a weekend, like, oh, I saw this come up multiple times. I actually think I
0: could solve this. I have a, so many questions.
1: Go <laughs> for it. Go for it, Brett. Go for it, Brett.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, more more like there's so many there's so many parts of this that we can dive into, right? I think we've all been, especially you, obviously, but I feel like I've got a tiny little bit of this experience of maintaining at least most of my repos aren't I wouldn't call code repos. They're mostly this is how you do this thing in Kubernetes. Here's a, a very long README with a lot of YAML examples and stuff like that. Or this is how you do this thing in Docker or with infrastructure or whatever. But being a part of the other repos where it is code and I'm working out a bug and I'm the outsider, I feel like I've seen all the different sides of this where there's people that come to you very enthusiastically, but they have a short lifespan. Like they they show up and if they don't get immediate help from everyone, and I'm not talking about asking for help, but more like, hey, I wanna make this contribution. Here's my giant PR with all these changes and I'm just showing up today. And that's a hard thing as a maintainer. And I don't know yeah. how to help them empathize with, we don't know who you are or what this is for, or, or you know, you, maybe your PR is a little off from the culture of our project and it's kind of going in a way we maybe don't want it to go. And it's a hard, you don't want to say no because these people work so hard and they care a yeah. lot. How do you deal with some of that? Yeah. And that's,
2: this is the, it's really around reputation and recognition is something that we actually currently focused on right now for the next phase of our product which, like, one, you, you can have your profile and show your reputation based on contributions and your time zone, your interest, but also even showcase, like, some of your, you know, like, the actual PR that you've contributed to. But that same energy is met with, like, if someone knocks on my door and says, I'd love to come in and eat your food, I'd be like, hold on real quick. Who are you? What's your angle? Or even like nowadays, your phone rings and you just don't answer it because it's like spam likely. Right. Right. So, I just don't pick up my phone anymore. And I think it's the same thing with contributions. It's like, thanks very much for the contribution. And what we've done is we have a PR template and the PR template lays out in the comments, like in the notes, hidden, hidden notes or comments, like, please fill this out. Otherwise we can't take your contribution or we can't take it seriously or whatnot. And it will just sit here and we'll close it eventually. But like the expectation is like, you open a PR in the PR, it says, before you open the PR, open the issue. And if you don't open the issue, but you have a PR already, I know you haven't read anything. Because in, in the issue template, it's like, read the contributing MD. Did you do that? Check the box. And if you didn't check the box, then I know you didn't read it, which is actually, it's, well, that's not required to check. But the other one that is required is the code of conduct. So the code of conduct read like there. So like we're, we basically just have like the guardrails for people to like read something and get some context before they ask like the same question everyone asks, which is like, how do I sign myself to issues? Which is in our contributing MD. So like I have a save reply that I quickly respond to people like, hey, can I work on this? And I always reply, read the contributing MD for how to take issues, which we have a GitHub right. action, like dot take, it assigns you. So like there's, it's just basically, a, like I, I mentioned before we got on the call, like I did sales before learning how to code full time. I was getting my MBA after like four years of sales then learn how to code. But in sales, it's all about having a framework. Like one thing I learned, like in sales, like most people don't want to pick up the phone. And like 10 years ago, when I was doing sales, like it was all phone, like phone and email. So I built a framework of what questions and what prompts to ask in the conversation to then qualify if this person is a sale, or if this is like, it's going to be a dead end. So like with our onboarding experience for open source, it's basically qualified the person like, one, if, if communication is poor, then the first thing you do when you open up a PR is like, go to our discord, have the conversation, find man DMs, like we'll unblock you but you got to show some effort to get to that point where you can get unblocked. Otherwise, like I've got all the systems in place and I know it's going to be a high touch, low impact contribution. So we'll just let it sit for a bit. And for the folks who have been around or saw in the Discord, how things get, how conversations are started and handled, those conversations tend to be a lot easier, like easier to poultry and get, get merged. So yeah, it's it's a balance, but I had a chance to talk to a thousand maintainers, specifically in the maintainer org. I was in the room when the Nadia Ekbal book, Working in Public. You guys familiar with that book? Mm-hmm. Why, don't yeah. you, why don't you we'll tell our
1: audience more about it?
2: Yeah, so the book, Nadia Ekbal, which I believe Nadia just changed her last name. I haven't talked to her in like over a year, but I think she got married. So I forgot what her new name is. So apologies, Nadia, on using your your maiden name. But what I'm getting at is Nadia actually, she interviewed me and hired me at GitHub. We were meant to work on the same team, but she moved on to work on GitHub Sponsors instead. But when she was doing the research of like where maintainers are lacking or what how GitHub can validate maintainers in the space, the questions, the answers were like the same things over and over again. Like there's just not enough tooling to manage community on GitHub. And GitHub's done a really good job in the last couple of years of adding some community features. Some have been announced and shot up on the rooftop. Some things have been like subtle, but even like limiting interactions and some block features and spam features. Like it came through some of these interactions. So like in this book, you have the concept of an active contributor and a passive contributor. And like an active contributor is like, Hey, I'm here. I'm participating. I've, I'm gaining knowledge and I'm be, I'm growing to be an expert. And then passive contributions, like I'm just here for the one thing. And there's my contribution. And, like every now and then every six months, I find a bug and I'll open a an issue. And there's like the whole concept of like, I just had a, a conversation with uh, Brendan Burns, who's from Kubernetes fame. And... Early days Kubernetes was like very similar to that what that book was, which is how do you show engagement and how do you make sure that the neighborhood, which is your repo, is a place that's fun to hang out and that people can validate and say like, this is a nice neighborhood to hang out in. And that was the things that the Kubernetes creators and founders set their project up with the SIG groups, which is if you wander into this corner of the repo, like there's a cohort of code owners that can help navigate you through this mess of a giant monolith. So with that being said, like basically like issues is a really good like stars is a really good engage like the show if people are aware of your project, but it's not the best metric to to to, to live on. Issues is a really good insight for folks of interest. If people are opening issues, it means they tried something and have questions about the thing that they're looking at. And then pull request looks shows engagement. So if people are actually opening up PRs, like they're actually engaged and they want to provide value back to the community. So when you see that transition from issues to PR and like sort of that framework that we set up in source, now you can see going back to my sale, what I was talking about with sales, the funnel. Like you can see someone started the repo, but you want to go from star to PR. So what's the drop off of stars to issues to PRs? And it's not about like over time, but it's like how many stars today, how many issues today, how many PRs today? And today is like not a great time box, but like in the last seven days, that same number of like that shows engagement and shows how people are converting in the funnel. And like very few people convert from stars to actual PR, but there's an interesting insight there that we're actually working on with our, hopefully in the future for our CLI to you can see that pipeline in the future.
0: Oh, it's not a sales pipeline. It's more like a a contributor and engagement pipeline. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's like a contributor opportunity pipeline.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And this is the other thing,
2: like when people are like, I need to find something to work on what projects, I always hundred percent always recommend people small early projects. The ChangeLog nightly is a newsletter that shows uh, projects that got like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a lot of the secret sauce. But if you get fifty stars of a new project in one day, you trend on GitHub and most almost mm. any other trending algorithms. If you have over five contributors, you trend a little better on the the GitHub trending. But I guess what I'm getting at is people want to make contributions and make impact today. So if I don't know who you are, I'll just like give you a random trending repo that I know needs help because they're trending because they just started and they have zero documentation. And those are almost always the best projects to contribute to because it's like almost free form. Like you do whatever you want and they're this like, they're happy to see you. But if you go to Kubernetes, they are like, exactly. And it's like, that's where you really like, you get to show yourself and cut your teeth on like building a name for yourself because what usually happens is that energy turns into more popularity and that energy that goes documentation and better READMEs and better issue templates, that's what fuels growth for most open source projects. It's just, people just know what to do when they get there.
0: It reminds me of the, kind of what the CNCF, the landscape tries to do a little bit where they try to show you the health of a project. And of course they have all these metrics. And I don't know what that backend algorithm looks like, but it reminds me of, you know, I have friends that they will, they have open source projects and they every once in a while, one of them will bump into the top 50 on GitHub or whatever and on the trending page and they get all excited. and. I don't really ever understand how that all happens. And inside the communities, we sort of joke that stars, stars mean everything, but stars mean nothing. You know, it's, yeah. it, I think it was Matt Williams on the show was joking with, cause I told him my strategy with stars is it's my, it's like my bookmark. I know that I've been there if I've started. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't indicate that I use the product. It just means that I've seen this page before. I've been here and know about it. I just yeah. forgot. And
1: yeah. repo, repo, read later. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that, <laughs> that was the that original way.
0: feature, though. If you remember Twitter early
2: days, like, the what is it, a heart now today? But it used to not be a heart. It actually used to be like a plus or a save for later. Mm-hmm. And that's how liking worked, is you like something, so then you have a list of likes that you can go back to. And that's also very similar to how GitHub stars worked. It's just like you star it. So if you go to your github.com slash your username slash stars, you can see everything you've starred recently. Yeah. And it's just, I used to, when I was streaming and had guests, I used to pull up people's stars in this pull up, which is like a really cool engagement thing. But just tell me why you started this repo. What's oh. Tell me about this project. And most people would be like, oh, I started it because this, or I saw it here. And it's a really, really good, if you want some like quick little That's, YouTube short content, it's like perfect fodder for YouTube short. We're doing it on the GitHub live streams. And then we fell away from it. Open Source Friday is a stream that I kickstarted at GitHub. but. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to like, you just save it for later, but now it's become something even more. If so many people are saving your project, that means there's interest, but very people know how to convert those stars into something of like, Hey, I saw you start my project. Would you like to do a thing? Which is, it's, I wouldn't recommend doing that. It's, a, it's very slimy. I do know some companies are very big nowadays that use stars as a conversion funnel and their onboarding documentation was basically star the repo, like midstream as you were doing right. it. you were doing the onboarding guide. And I think they actually, they started the repo for you. I GitHub shut this down a little bit, a while ago, but there's a webhook to start repos and you can make, do it behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> start, everything's gameable. So other than PRs, like you can't game PRs, you gotta do the code review.
1: So s- speaking of kind of engaging from a first time contributor standpoint, what's a way to effectively start that relationship with that community, with the maintainers, and establish yourself as someone that is trustworthy for continued activity right you talked about that stranger coming into your door asking for food okay day two day three week two week or month two what's uh, a good path to establish that trust
2: yeah so this is how i did it and then i am tell you how we're we want to do it for our users of open source okay. I worked at Netlify two jobs ago. I was hired as employee number three to build app.netlify.com, which is like the dashboard to deploy all Netlify apps. I there was a correlation in like blog posts that I wrote about my time at Netlify and the code I was writing, and like user growth. So like I got pushed more and more. Like, hey, great job! Write more blog posts. Go speak at that conference. Totally fine. We'll pay for your ticket. So then I started doing more open source because I was just really in, in, intrigued in doing open source because that's how I sort of. Converted from sales to getting a job is through all open source stuff. So, what I would do is I would do like a just a meaningful contribution on things that I use, just like everyone tells you to do, make a contribution. But I would do that in conjunction to doing a docs PR change. And a lot of times back in the day, docs always lived on its own landing page. So, like, I'd open two PRs and it's like good to get your good for like you get the one PR and people are like, oh, wow, cool. Thanks for the PR. I'll look at this eventually. But then when you open two PRs, one for docs and one for the actual contribution, then they're like, oh wow, this person's actually serious. So like all right out the gate is like, again, this is like counter to what I was saying in Discord, because I think it's harder today to just to walk into a project and be like, here's a PR. Different world back in the day. But I would just validate myself by doing contributions to places and being consistent and asking meaningful questions. So when I did sales, I used to read, actually, I still read this book every year called How to Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And it, I'm, I'm very much an introvert. Like it doesn't show because I'm like basically owning the conversation and doing long winded answers. But in that book, the way they explain it is you need to have them talk about themselves, the person you're talking to, and the, which is what I did in sales and pick up the phone and be like, "Hey, what's the weather like in, in Indiana?" Or, "Hey, did you watch the game yesterday?" It's like all this sort of underhand pitch, or you know, anyway, like this is a bunch of random stuff, icebreaker yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And actually, in particular, like I did that in... I was actually reflecting on this yesterday. I picked up the call, a phone, had a conversation with a person. I was selling IT networking equipment. And in passing, I was like, hey, tell me about your local sports team. And it was at Philadelphia Eagles. And he was like, oh, yeah. But I'm like, oh, we had this big deal with the Eagles as well. I was like, oh, yeah, tell me more about this. It turned out the, what I found just having a conversation with them is that the entire NFL and back in the early 2010s was converting to have Wi-Fi in every stadium which was not every place like nowadays you walk everywhere there's wi-fi but 10 years like 15 years ago that wasn't the case so my biggest bonus and my biggest sale ever was tennessee titans i found out the next deal was the tennessee titans and we got ahead of that deal and we were able to sell that so it's as a contributor it's like tell me like i need to talk to you tell me about this history tell me how the yeah. compiler works hey there's no documentation on this can you give me a quick little run through and i'll write a blog post about how the compiler works and what turns out is like everyone wants to talk about the thing they wrote. They don't have time to write the blog post. but if they tell you and then you turn that into content and documentation, then that becomes a meaningful contribution. So that's the long story short. That's what I was doing, making contributions and providing validation is like, I spend less time talking to myself and what I wanted to get out of the conversation or the relationship and more about what value I can provide back to the project by Mm -hmm. you tell me about a thing I'll turn it into content.
1: It can lead to a, surprise right you might be going to a new open source project and thinking that the main concern is xyz thing and then you talk to yeah that community and you realize oh you know this subcomponent is really where the focus needs to be or documentation or you know just using it like you said or having a video online of someone just using the tool for something cool is much more important which isn't necessarily captured in an issue somewhere on the repo
2: yeah right yeah, yeah. It's, I think we had a contribution for a hot, pizza in the search. We've got, uh, we put GitHub descriptions and GitHub has short codes for their emojis and we weren't rendering the emojis. So it, it would just render as broken Unicode, basically. And turns out there's a library we can add uh, that turns out the person who maintained it saw that and was like, hey, I can fix this. So we got the contribution upstream, but it was like, yes, it's a problem, but there's like a, there's a nuance. To like how GitHub does short codes for emojis that we have to convert with, and we're able to walk into that situation. So like right now, our social cards for all of open source, same problem needs to be fixed, and anybody can just jump in there in the Open Graph repo and be like, hey, I heard Brian said a thing. I'm here to fix it, and I literally have the P- I have the PR and the person who can mentor that person to get that fixed and explain the nuance right. of Unicode's and GitHub emojis and give you a whole history lesson. This need to have a willing person to be like, "Hey, I'm happy to listen." And I think, honestly, again, I- I'm doing a lot of talking, and you guys are doing the listening, which is great. You're getting me to talk, perfect podcast host. But as a contributor, like you got to get, you need to listen and have yeah. someone like tell you the mm-hmm. thing and take notes and turn that what you just heard into value. Yeah,
1: yeah, that value is the key. Uh, otherwise there's a asymmetrical kind of relationship. Like why should anyone care, right? On either side.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you'll find out that like the test suite is broken, but because there's like a nuanced thing upstream that never got fixed and you have like, the maintainer has a fix, but no time. And what a lot of times that I do is I just copy and paste the code I have in local, in my like local machine or my local branch. And here's the code, here's the fix. Could you just do it?
0: And that happens like all the time for me and other projects as well. Yeah. One thing that we maybe touched on, it might have been before the show, <laughs> before we hit record and live stream, was, at least for me, I have never I have never contributed to an open source project that I wasn't already using and passionate about. And yeah. so is there? Is I mean, we can all just say, well, you know, pick the project that you care about. And I, it's a weird hurdle that I feel like with my own community, these people don't even know what they're passionate about yet.
1: <laughs> they yeah.
0: go, they're probably using... A ton of open source on their computer. They're probably using VS Code, all open source. Like they're probably using all these things. Yeah. But they haven't found that passion. Cause I feel like that's almost a natural transition. Do you have any pro tips for someone who's maybe excited about everything but not focused on any one thing yet? Like how Yeah. Do yeah I sometimes you gotta fake it before you make it too, as well. So mm. it
2: you have an interest and it's okay if your interests change, but it's the most important thing is pick something. Cause then you can find out really quickly if you don't like it. So mm-hmm. it's again like what I on a when I was doing sales, like you have to qualify the lead. So you ask the questions to be like, is this an actual person who will purchase, or is this a decision maker? And if it's not, let's not waste our time. I was actually talking to uh, for open source. We're doing uh, some large enterprise conversations, and there's a CTO of a very very big fintech that everyone's heard. It's like the underlying technology for banks. So don't so expose them. But basically, in the email, I got an intro. It's like, hey, Brian's doing a cool thing. This is what they've done so far. Would love to see if there's like an opportunity to work with you and your team. Huge team, huge business. And in the email back, they're like, oh yeah, is, is this interesting? is interesting. This is our focus for the next two quarters. And like the CTO is up front. And I appreciate that their blunt feedback was like, I don't think it's actually gonna be a fit for us anytime soon. It sounds really interesting. I can ask a couple other VPs of engineering if they're interested, but to be honest, like I don't think this is gonna fit within. Are what we're actually sort of racing towards, and can't really build an initiative around this. So I was like, thanks so much. Don't even bother like asking the VPs. I think based on what your goals are in the next co- like the two quarters, like Open Source could live and die in two quarters. There's no point in me going back and forth to becoming best friends with the CTO of one of the most popular fintechs. So I was like, hey, here's some more here's some more context. I'll just follow up with you like sometime next year to see if it makes more sense when we have a, a better offering for what makes sense for you. Thanks for the feedback. And like we ended it there, like I didn't have to jump on a call. It was just an email back and right. forth because I could qualify really quickly. That they're not going to be a good fit for us. It would just be a lot of time burnt. But it's the same thing of if I see if I'm walking into a Rust project, which would be random because I don't write really good Rust at all. And but then I'm like, I don't know anything about the system engineering thing or what this compiler is doing. I can validate really quickly. I'm not going to be a good fit for this. I'm going to take way too much time from these this team to do anything meaningful. So not that I don't discourage not trying. My, my, the counterpoint is like, just go learn Rust and go build projects with it and level up and do the Rust book and all the other stuff that you should be doing to learn Rust. So instead, if you're into, well, I talk to a lot of front-end folks coming out of boot camps. Everyone wants to do React. Everyone's a full-time job doing only React. Everyone wants to do just React components and never right. touch the backend. And uh, so if that's your interest, so be it, but just understand there's a lot of competition for getting contributions and React projects. So what if you did the step below that? Or a step above, like performance in React and like translations in React or accessibility in React. That's so much niche that there's a way more opportunity for you to specialize and become an expert in that space as opposed to, I just want to do React stuff. So, yeah. So I don't know if I answered the question. I just gave a lot of anecdotes.
1: No, No, that's... That is a good answer. It's uh, th- That's a good answer for a lot of different things, right? Try, yeah. Trying things and f- finding out that you don't like something is just as valuable as finding out that you are passionate about a specific topic. Another part is i found when trying to solve a problem, you know, you're on Stack Overflow, you're Googling around, and you realize that there's not any really good guidance on how to do XYZ thing with XYZ tool. That's... That's the gap, right? If you're on the hook for solving a problem and you can't find good guidance on how to do that with whatever you need to, whatever tools your open source communities or projects you're using, well, be that person, right? Yeah. Be that person I that mean, creates that content.
2: N- normal, That's it's crazy because the default response to that is I didn't find anything. I'm just going to move on to the next project. But the most people don't think, oh, I could actually fill in the blank here and write yeah. the thing that's missing. And I think they're like, working full-time engineering a couple of jobs ago, I, well, anybody who's listening, you work full-time engineering, you run into a library, you use it, and you then evaluate as qu- quick as, hopefully as quick as possible, whether this is gonna work for your need or not. But what usually happens is people evaluate project to project to project, find the one that works. But th- I think when I was doing React like 2014, there was a uh, very few markdown rendering libraries that worked properly. And I tested them all because we had to get Markdown rendered into our application. And I found like it was like MarkedJS and now MDX is the go-to. But it was like all these solutions and they all kind of worked. And what I did is I found Webpack at the time. Their docs were, was using one of the libraries. So I had an example I could point to, mm-hmm. but then their doc had the same problem we had. So what I did is I fixed it in their docs upstream by doing a contribution to I think actually remark was the one, but it doesn't matter okay. which one it was. Yeah, yeah, But I fixed it upstream and then got it into Webpack and then was able to validate for my day job. Okay, it works because I got it to work on the Webpack docs. But no one's going like most people won't do that. Most people are like, it doesn't work. We just can't solve this problem. Let's just not. Let's just kill the feature. And I think there's actually a blog post on dev. slash open source. I wrote a blog post around rounded images or the rounded solution to rounding images or something like that. Something tongue in cheek. And it was because our dashboard, you see all these rounded images, and we were embedding it e-charts, Apache eCharts, and now we're using a different library today. But we couldn't manipulate the image inside the chart library because we had to go upstream to make the fix. So we had to figure out a solution that required us not to wait for a PR to get merged, but we can ship this. I think we had like two weeks or a three-week deadline to get this turned around. So we couldn't wait for back and forth trust relationship building with open source. So I walked through all the solutions we did, and it at the time it was when I was like sort of transitioning from doing full time engineering to just fixing bugs. So I ended up fixing it on like a Sunday afternoon after explaining all my reasoning, all the libraries I tried, how we would fix it, maybe upstream and approach that. Even open it like I think another engineer opened issue on the our discussion on the project where I just wanted to see if we asked a question, would the re- maintainer respond fast enough that then we would then proceed to actually make the upstream change. So long story short, it was like, we ended up figuring a solution, but like we explored upstream options, different libraries, and then ultimately decided to go with Cloudinary, which was a quick fix. But the goal was like to eventually go back to that library and make an upstream change so we could use it the way we want. Which in reality, actually, we, I think we solved it just a couple of weeks ago or last month, where our knowledge of the library, of the chart library that renders all of our avatars, was just really low. So we just leveled up, and we actually we learned how to fix it without any an upstream change. But it was a documentation thing. That was the ultimate thing was a documentation change. So every time someone interacts with me, or we're actually currently hiring for. Well, we're not currently hiring. We're exploring hiring next month. It's like we're, we're always hiring, basically at a startup. <laughs> we just didn't know when we could pay you.
1: Right. But, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah. So we're uh, yeah we're exploring different candidates that don't know where that they're candidates to to get a call out to work for us. And the first thing I do is I go check their contributions at open source and see if they have any sort of relationship with anything open source because of our, yeah, the field that we're working in. If you have open source experience, it actually it does kind of help you stand out from other candidates. But open source contributions is not required to work at open source. I just want to point that out. But yeah, th- like the idea is like you can actually showcase your resume, your skill set. So what this feature is called highlights, I can take my PR provide a brief description about the story behind that PR. And I have a string of highlights. So in the event that someone wants to hire me for a job or reach out to me for content or conference talks, they have a good context of like, okay, Brian's did something. Let's have a conversation around this contribution that you did. So currently all data is 30 days. We do want to have, we do have some features and certain features that have 90 days, up to 90 days of data. But eventually like you can just go back and start storytelling based on your contributions
1: this is pretty slick why contribute to open source why get involved in open source communities
2: yeah and again like there's always going to be someone who's like i can't do open source so i hate that open source is the differentiator yeah tech was i say this all the time i guess underrepresented person in tech tech is not equitable and once you agree then we can work to make it equitable but today as we we talk most companies don't have very diverse teams there's a lot of nuance and hurdles you have to jump through. So if I don't know how to do whiteboarding, red, black trees, like I can't, as a 36-year-old, I can't get a job as a random tech start, tech startup, regardless of like my 10 years of experience. So yeah. open source is like the back door into tech by like validating yourself to make contributions to like a random meta project or a random Google project, like it validates you that you've done the equivalent of what needs to be done to have to, to at least get an interview at the job. And I think if the, what we've noticed in the last 10 years, more 20 years is like there was a pipeline from Stanford, from Harvard to get people all in Silicon Valley based companies, which is cool. But what about all the other schools? What about the people who didn't go to school? If you didn't go to school, but you learn how to code outside of school, like you, are you less valid? Or if you built a startup and sold it for $10 million, are you less valid or more valid? It's all nuanced. And it's because we have no, like we have certificates but like their certificates are hand wavy. So like you get your, what, your, whatever, your Microsoft server certificate qualification, like you can get Microsoft jobs. But at the end of the day, it's like, can you do the work and can you hit the ground running? And open source shows I can work, like as a bootcamp grad, like myself, I can show I can work with the team on software that's being leveraged by real life use cases and then put that on my resume cover letter and share that story. Or I can show I can work remote. Cause like most open source happens remotely through the internet. So like i got great communication skills. I can show all aspects that usually get asked in the interview. So what I've been doing is I heard this guy at Microsoft, he was talking about a bunch of the diverse folks in the community. I was invited during Microsoft build this year. And he was saying that he got a job, he was from an African country that I'd never heard of. It's like an island off the coast of Africa. And he went to school in the States to make a name for himself. got a job at Microsoft. And everyone celebrated back home because he made it. He was a big deal. And what he realized is like someone, and the reason that he made it into Microsoft because somebody mentored him and showed him the way and he got an internship. But like when you go up the elevator and you like take that job, like his, his, what he explained to me is like, you got to make sure the elevator goes back down for somebody else. And so like my entire career has always been, can I send that elevator back down to show people this is how you can make make a name for yourself in open source? So, if you could showcase, like again, t- you could work with the team. You've got great communication skills, and you could actually write code. Like that's all the stuff people are checking. And then when you get the interview, the hope is that at that point they just check to see if you're crazy or not, or ask you all the situational questions. Right. Then it becomes like an easier experience to walk into. So, like I'm looking to really just turn the entire industry on its head and showcase open source as a way to showcase your resume, but also make it more approachable to do open source at work as well. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome.
1: Thank a, you for taking that on. Yeah. <laughs> one one other aspect of these open source communities is you realize that it's people. And, you know, coming in to these communities, there's some big names that you might see, like on, on YouTube live streams and, you know, yeah. the main contributors to massive projects that are leveraged everywhere or like Linux kernel hackers that are, you know, create components that... We leverage every day and it it might be very daunting to think about interacting with these folks but i find that the open source communities it's you realize at some point that's a a really good way to directly interact with folks that you might seem like on stage and kind of far removed from your day to day is that true is that something that that yeah as an impact yeah,
2: it's a, so I used to say this thing, which is no longer valid. I used to mentor at a boot camp, and I used to say, if people, I used to say two things. Basically, if people are like, I don't know if I can do this or whatever, you're not launching rockets. Like, if, you, if the tests fail, it's okay. Like, nothing's going to explode. This is not true if you're literally working at SpaceX. So I'll eat those words if you get a job at SpaceX. the other thing I used to say is, like, everything you're looking at has been written by a human, which again, I had to take that back because not. <laughs> Maybe it was inspired by human or learned from a human code yeah. that was written. But I used to say it all the time when I was mentoring a boot camp. which thanks to AI now, yeah. maybe not written by a human. But what I'm getting at is at the end of the day, is like, this is a solved problem. Someone had to figure this out. And it was like a human with a real brain. So like you are a human with a real brain. You can figure this out as well. It just might take longer or it could be faster. Like I, I just think like, I play music. I played guitar since I was nine and I've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. And I did this thing where I'm just like, hey, tell me a song and I'll play it because I, what I learned is how to play by ear. So mm-hmm. if I, and I also learned like music theory in college, I didn't go to college for music, but while I was in college, I did a lot of music theory books and stuff like that. So if you f- understand the music theory, like you could play almost any Taylor Swift song. So if my kids are like, cause I know their limitation of music is, Oh, play Bach. And it was like, you don't know who Bach is, but most songs that they want me to play will and to, will just be some similar, simple pop song. But like when you understand that, that theory, like everything's approachable of like, okay, as long as it's like in a key, I can sing, which I just play everything in D and C because that's what I can sing out loud. I'm not a great singer, but th- that's the key I can sing. But if I know the theory then I can play the pattern or play the notes that makes sense to them, even if it's not perfect, because like sometimes they have a weird suspended chord or whatever, but my kids are not, their ear is not as sophisticated that they can hear that. Right. I say that with a caveat, my brother, I have a twin brother and his, my nephew has like perfect pitch and is teaching himself piano. So that's a whole nother world that he'll probably be like, hey, Uncle Brian, you're a little flat here. <laughs> no, he's not that good, but I imagine in a yes. couple of years he won't be that good. <laughs> right. Yeah. But what I was right. getting at is everything everything's approachable.
1: Yeah. And perfection isn't the end goal necessarily. No, it isn't.
2: Because right. I think the best thing that I've done for my career is I sorry, I got a bunch of anecdotes, but I learned in my first job in San Francisco. So I moved to San Francisco, worked at this company called Block. And we had this hard problem with payments. and trying to get like Stripe audit logs and stuff like working. And my, the CTO I worked for was like, has anybody, does anybody know anybody who works at another company has solved this already? Let's just ask them. And that blew my mind because I'm like, oh, we're working at a company that's like VC backed. Like, we just talk to our friends about this problem and get answers. And the answer is yes. If you have a community and you're like, hey, I've, I've, I'm stuck on this problem, like, 100%, like, walk into this Discord and be like, hey, has anybody seen this before? Like, how do we get unblocked? And I think we don't do that enough as, a, as an industry. The other edit that I was going share is I learned that same job. There was like how you pitch ideas and how you get buy in, like, in engineering sinks, is like they're out the worst idea because worst idea or first idea. And like when you, there was a story that was told to me about producing movies. So if you're talking to a producer and they're like, Hey, let's do ideas. How are we going to open up this film? How do we set up the the entire story? You pitch the idea of, okay, we're going to hire a helicopter. We're going to fly the helicopter from the hills to the ocean, go around the pier of Santa Monica, and then go up to Pasadena to one park where we'll we'll zoom in from the helicopter to the one person sitting on a bench. And then uh, that's how we open the movie. And they start a conversation like Forrest Gump. So the producer will be like, okay, how much is this going to cost? And they'd be like, oh, it's going to be like, I don't know, $2 million. And they're like, let's not do it. So instead, the producer will say, oh, let's just set up a still camera and open up without the helicopter star on the bench. And you give the worst answer because you want to get yourself to the second pitch. Hmm. And the second pitch is actually, this is what I want to do. It's simpler. It's approachable. But what most people want to, they want to be able to say no to something our producers want to say no to something, so the best thing you can do in an engineering sync or in trying to, deb- to debug a problem, is throw out the worst answer. So, like when I was solving that rounded images thing, I was just throwing out all the worst ideas of like, hey, why don't we just rebuild our own cloudinary and do our own hosting through S3 and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, engineers are like, no, we're not doing that. Is that like, cool? Why don't we just use a service instead? Oh yeah, good idea.
0: Yeah, it's like the, it's like you're you're seating the room with their oh they're like well. they weren't going to say their idea, but suddenly now they're realizing their idea is better than yours. So, so they're going to throw it out, right? It almost gives them confidence. That, uh, I have to admit though, that technique takes some, you have to like let go of your ego and be willing to be wrong. And that, that is hard for engineers a lot of times, particularly this one. One thing on that is that
2: we just named the new product that we're going to, it's like a side project, but I got a five letter domain and we went through a bunch of names of, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. And I was like, okay, here's a couple of bad ideas. And then we sort of merited on it for two weeks. And then we came back and we come up with a name. And everyone's like, no, I got a name for you. It's like, out of left field, I've got the shopping cart open. It's uh, it was, unfortunately it $360 for the domain, which I'll share in a couple of weeks, but it's five letters. And this is the name of the project. And this is why, and I gave a whole sort of like how impactful of marketing and how people would remember it in their head. Like opensauce.pizza, like we own opensauce.com. But open pizza is what I lead with because you'll forget open sauce mm-hmm. or how do you spell it? Open pizza. even if you spell it wrong, our SEO is off the charts.
0: So like you'll figure it out eventually. Right. right. It is a wonderfully unique domain. And it's always great to see successful not dot com domains because a lot of us that have been around the internet for the longest time still think they're all inferior in some way. So it's always great when you see something and you're like that works that works for them and it's not to, a to dot be true they are inferior it just takes a lot
2: more work to yeah. to build the SEO and I still can't email government entities with my dot pizza because it just gets it gets okay. I've yeah, actually just, had yeah. some errors yeah I've had some errors where people are trying to like I think a HubSpot automation they couldn't start because dot pizza
0: so that i know they're trying to put me in automation i'm like no thank you <laughs> i've noticed on, on some of these alternative domains like social won't pick them up if you don't put in the https it yeah. won't pick up that it's a domain unless you specify that my wife actually figured out that if we just added dub 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 on the on the beginning of the domain it will always almost work without having to put in the uh, url parameters but yeah it's you're right it is kind of but we all like to want to I have hopes. I have hopes the internet is is equal on all domains. It's getting there. Otherwise, we'll just start searching on TikTok anyway. So it'll be fine. (laughs) That's true. That's true. The alternative, yeah, this is the TikTok search in danger of supplanting YouTube search as the second one or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a fantastic discussion. Honestly, I'm having a hard time signing off because I feel like there's so many rabbit holes we could go down. I hope that this becomes sort of my reference material for people wanting to get in and they're not really sure about, you know, they're thinking technically when they should think of Squishy. They should think of the humans involved and find the places where those people are. I love that Discord is becoming more of a standard. I I felt like our Discord server for our community was a little early. It was right around the time of when they decided to change the Discord language to allow companies or more than just gaming communities and their verbiage because I always felt like it was much more community focused and it was safer. It was a safer place for communities. So I'm excited that you have some there. And what is, how do we get to your Discord, by the way? Is there a short URL? Uh, yeah, open source discord.gg slash open sauce.
2: So you find it there. And I did want to mention too is what we didn't talk about it, but I think your community would probably appreciate our pizza repo. So we built a thing called the pizza oven, which is a container that goes and bakes repos. So if you have a uh, URL and you want to get insights from your repo, you don't want to go into the UI and figure it out. We're, we only started like two weeks ago, so it's still early days, but if you have ideas for insights you want to get from open source, open up an issue and we'll triage it and put it in the roadmap.
1: All right. I didn't think this conversation today would make me so hungry, but now I gotta go <laughs> get some food. <laughs> and, and we'll just throw a bunch of pizza slices on the screen as a way to make you
0: not hungry. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all it's on brand. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So pizza well,
2: oven, you said. Yeah, so open source slash pizza is the, the GitHub repo. So yeah, that is that is our CLI experience. Like You could also, the goal is to eventually be able to self-host it for your GitHub enterprise and get insights the same way you get on the RUI. But we just want to make it put more tools at the fingertips of maintainers and companies,
1: yeah, and this I, is our effort. I will definitely awesome. be sharing that with lots of groups that I know that are maintaining open-source communities. And I think one thing that a lot of folks don't realize is The community itself looks at a lot of these stats to determine what direction to take the community in, right? Like what to influence the roadmap, to influence all kinds of of things. things. So it's really important to get good insights into the health of those communities. I feel like we could squander another good hour diving into other topics. Brett or Brian, any last kind of takeaways that folks should go check out? What's their next action yeah. what should they do next
2: yeah <laughs> yeah does anything has been interesting to you and like you want to get involved open source or you maintain a project next action is uh, we actually are doing starting on the 24th 100 days open source so 100 days until the end of hacktoberfest So the idea is that will give you the tips and the tricks and tools. To get involved in open source communities and how to find them, and the goal is not make a contribution every day. It's not making forty contributions or get a T-shirt. Like you could do that when you get the Hacktoberfest. We want to educate and this will level up how you approach open source, and that's what we're doing for the hundred days. So sign up to open source, submit your your willingness to participate in the hundred days, which is just do a thing every day, read documentation, be helpful in an issue, like touch a project in a meaningful way. And uh, yeah, hopefully the entire world will be better because of it.
1: That's awesome. That's
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, for those of you who didn't catch the thousand times we said it, you can, you can check out Open Source at opensauce.pizza. You can find them almost everywhere. They have a channel on YouTube. By the way, your podcast quality, your production value is awesome. Oh, thank you. to you, sir. On YouTube, it's at Open Source. You're on all of the platforms. You just heard us talk about discord.gg slash sauce. So, thank you so much, sir, for being here. I'm excited about open source. I signed up this week, started checking it out. Yeah, let's do it. Happy to happy to empower the community, Brian. I hope to see you somewhere on the internet and a PR somewhere. Bye, everybody. Excellent. Cheers. Stay saucy. Stay stay <laughs> saucy. I like I'm it. So hungry. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.